Matthew 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, as we come to this wonderful passage tonight, we do pray and ask that you would give us illumination by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us conviction by your Holy Spirit where that may be required, that you would give us encouragement by your Spirit as we feast and feed upon your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes people say, don't judge me. And what they mean is that they're going to tell you about something that they probably shouldn't have done, and then they're going to tack on at the end of it, don't judge me. For instance, there could be a husband who uh, goes to his wife and he says, thank you, honey, for making that delicious crumble. I just had more than my fair share of it. Don't judge me. Now that story may have occurred yesterday and that person may have been me talking to my wife, but be that as it may, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not at all what he's talking about. It's not a lighthearted throwaway phrase that we would tack on to the end of a statement like that. It's something quite the opposite. It's very, very serious. And so I've broken this passage down into three parts. Uh, taking uh, two verses for each part. And so we'll begin with what we see here as a stern warning, a stern warning in verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now Jesus begins with those familiar words here, judge not that you be not judged. And some people take this verse Some non-Christians even will take this verse and throw it back into the face of Christians. They'll say, don't you remember Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged? Or even some Christians will use this verse upon other Christians to say, you know, we should really be a lot more tolerant with people. We shouldn't be judging people in this way. Um, You know, you can't judge me, they'll say. You can't tell me what is right and wrong people will say to us you know we have the words of Jesus here and that's what he says so these are the kinds of things that you see especially if you are on social media you're going to see those kinds of things tossed at Christians all the time those kind of phrases but they would say that Christians are not to make any kind of evaluative statement they're not to make any kind of judgments because that's what Jesus says judge not Now, if that is what verse 1 means, then we've got a whole host of problems within the Bible, right? We could take example after example after example of people making various judgments. How about Elijah the prophet who spoke against King Ahab, the ruler of the day? He's speaking against him and the prophets of Baal. Or how about the Apostle Paul who spoke against the Judaizers, these people infiltrating the the church and speaking false doctrines or or how about uh, Jesus uh, when he tells us even commands us to make evaluations to make judgments 
In John 7.24, where he says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right, or with righteous judgment. So Jesus right there seems to contradict what those people are saying that he says here in our passage in verse 1. So here Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. But does that mean make no evaluation about anything? Make no judgments about anything? Don't be critical whatsoever about anything? Don't use biblical wisdom and discernment to discern what is right and what is wrong? Because if that's what Jesus meant, then certainly as we move through the passage, even if we go to verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, if you're going to do that, you've got to make an evaluation. You've got to make some judgments. Or if you go down to verse 15, beware of false prophets. Well, if you're going to beware of false prophets, you've got to make a judgment, an evaluation about what false prophets do and who they are to be aware of them. So the reality is that the Bible tells us that we are to make judgments and use discernment all the time. We are to do that. And discerning right from wrong, truth from error, is a very important thing that we ought to be ought to be doing. So what is Jesus getting at here when he says, do not judge? When he's, when he's talking to us here in this passage, what is he saying? Well, he's talking about having a critical, judgmental spirit. That's what he's speaking against here in the passage, a critical spirit. He's talking about having that judgmental spirit, being a fault finder, always looking for people who are misstepping and, and uh, tripping over themselves to be able to say, aha, and point out the fault, the flaw in their lives. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And one author says about this nitpicking type of attitude that some would have towards other people, this judgmental spirit, one author says that there is nothing more ungodly than a critical spirit. Nothing more ungodly than a critical spirit. Nothing more unchristlike than the false righteousness that is always looking for something wrong in someone else. Always looking for the faults in someone else. Always looking to elevate ourselves, to be self-righteous, looking for all of those faults in somebody else. And so Jesus is saying here that we are not to be harsh with other people, that we're not to be self-righteous, pretending that we know even the motives of people and what they are doing. Now, just as a simple Example, simple example would be um, perhaps if you saw someone uh, or a family at a sporting event or an expensive restaurant or, or a concert of some sort. Incidentally, did you know that Super Bowl tickets uh, today were going for $10,000? That was the cheapest one. If you want to be 50-yard line, you're looking at $40,000 Canadian for one ticket. But that is an aside. All people who care about the Super Bowl are probably all watching it at home. But anyways, uh, that's not you here tonight. But say you saw someone at an event like this, and not, not an expensive one like that, but three, $400, whatever, probably a price of a Canucks ticket or something these days. And say you saw them there, and you think to yourself, now what is that person doing here? I know their financial, financial situation. You know, I know these people. I know that they can't afford this. Why are they here? They shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be at places like this. They shouldn't be spending their money on these kind of things. And so now we've just made an evaluative statement about the, these people. We've judged their motives. We've judged all kinds of things about them. When the reality is, they could have been cop the tickets. 
They could have had a gift certificate to go to a restaurant. Somebody's blessed them in that way, and we don't know because we don't have all of the information, but yet we've jumped to such a conclusion to impugn their motives, their character, all kinds of different things as to what's going on there. So when Jesus says, don't judge, that's the kind of judgment that he's talking about, that self-righteous, hypocritical type of judgment um, that we can fall into sometimes. So that brings up two reasons why we're not to judge in this way. Two reasons why we are not to be self-righteous and judge people in this manner. And the one is that we are not the final judge. God is. God is God and we aren't. God has all the facts. We don't. God is omniscient and we aren't. And so we need to leave that attribute to God where it belongs because we don't have that as people. So if we don't know something, we shouldn't be making a judgment or a statement on that. If we don't have all of the facts and we are judging rightly with righteous judgment as Jesus calls it, then we should be not judging in that way. And then verse 2 gives us the second reason why we are not to judge people in this way. And that is because judgment has a boomerang effect. What comes around goes around. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You've heard that old saying, if you've got one finger pointed at someone else, you've got three fingers pointed back at yourself, right? And so that is the kind of the idea here. There is a boomerang effect to this type of critical judgment. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in our conclusion. And now he goes on and he shows us an example of what this critical spirit looks like. And we see this extreme example in verses 3 and 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? So think about this example here. It would be like someone with a tiny piece of sawdust in their eye, and another guy, he's got an eight-foot-long two-by-four hanging out of his eye, and he's going to go to the other guy. Obviously, with the two-by-four in your eye, you're not going to be able to see clearly, and, and you've got a, 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 a gross sin there, and, but yet you're going to go point out uh, someone else's sin that might be much, much smaller than that log that is in your eye, just a little speck, a piece of sawdust that's happening there, a tiny microscopic thing. And we've all had those microscopic things in our eyes before, right? Think of just an eyelash. An eyelash is a very small thing or a, a piece of dust. You're out for a walk or maybe a small fly flies right in your eye and, and that can be very, very irritating to have that problem happening. When it comes to the eyeballs, Even a small, small thing is very significant. It's very irritating. Even a small thing like an eyelash getting caught in the eye can cause all kinds of pain and discomfort in the eye. Something so small can be very, very irritating. And now you could say, I got this little eyelash or this piece of sawdust in my eye. It's not very big. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to leave it. We don't do that, do we? When something like that happens, we want to get rid of that irritant right away. We want to clean that up immediately. We want to take care of it because it's painful. Cause our eyes to go red. It can cause our eyes to water. We can't blink properly. All kinds of things that can occur when that happens. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, be careful how you treat other believers. Be careful how you confront other people about their sin. Be careful in how you approach them about their faults. 
Be careful that you don't harshly criticize them while failing to look at yourself, while failing to deal with your own sins. And so let's admit it. It's a lot easier to point out the faults and the failings in other people, isn't it? It's a lot easier to see that speck of dust in someone else and to miss the log in our own eyes. And that's typically the way that we think. But we see here that Jesus reverses that completely. We see he reverses it completely. We usually see the faults of other people as being huge. And then we give ourselves a free pass. We, we minimize the things. We make excuses of the things that are happening in our own hearts. We might say, yeah, I have this little speck in my eye, but that guy over there, he's got a big, huge log coming out of his eye. But Jesus reverses that. Or we could say, yeah, I've got some little sin issue in my life, but I can quit that habit anytime I want. I can, I can do without that anytime I want, but look at that brother or sister over there. Boy, they've got real big sin issues. I've just got small things going on here. They've got really big sin issues happening over there. But Jesus reverses that. He says, no, you've got the log. So be careful when you inspect the speck. Be very, very careful about that. And so he's warning the person who has the critical spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 1 of the passage, and that's what he's unfolding for us. The person who's always looking for that slightest misstep in someone else to be able to pounce on it and to be able to seize on it, and yet missing their own sins in their own lives. And so Jesus is warning us of not having a critical spirit. It's hypocrisy, and even goes on in the next passage, the next uh, couple of verses here to call it, uh, hypocrisy. And so what do we do about this? How do, we, how do we deal with sin in someone else's life? How do we first take care of our own sins? Well, we see that. You hypocrite, verse 5. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what this means is that we have to have the right perspective. When we get that log out of our eyes, when we deal with our sin first, then we're able to see clearly into someone else's life to be able to help them. And so that's how we approach it, with the right perspective. Not condoning people's sin, not giving it a free pass, but not having that judgmental, critical spirit when we deal with other people. So there's two things here to think about that Jesus brings up here. First of all, we want to do this with grace and with gentleness. Grace and gentleness. Verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brothers. In other words, he's saying, recognize that you are a sinner. Recognize that you have a sin problem. Recognize that you are not perfect. You are not sinless. You need the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us are a completed work. We all have that sign posted under construction. God is still at work in our hearts and in our lives. We are always under construction until we get to glory. And so we minister to other people with that understanding, with grace and with gentleness and humility. We understand how gracious the Lord has been to us in forgiving us, and then we extend that mercy to other people. We have compassion towards others. And so we aren't to be fault finders. We're to be uh, grace enablers in our own lives and in the lives of other people. 
So if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we see unfolded right back in chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who see their hearts rightly, correctly. Those who see that they are bankrupt spiritually, that they have nothing, nothing in their hands do they bring. Simply to the cross we cling. We have nothing to to enable um, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in and of ourselves. It's only by His grace. And so that should lead us to mercy and to gentleness. It's a key characteristic that we should have in the Christian life. If you're to read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6, it's one of the fruit, or Galatians 5, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. The passage we read earlier in Galatians 6, Paul talks about restoring someone and we do so in the spirit of gentleness. If you look at the character qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you see gentleness there. Why would that be? Because as elders, we have to talk to people about sin. And so we have to do that in a gentle way. We have to do that from a right spirit, not a self-righteous spirit, but a right spirit, knowing that we ourselves are sinners in need of grace as well. So we are firm on sin. Yes, we want to be firm on sin, but we want to be careful and gentle, guiding and leading uh, people. So King David, we look at the life of King David. King David commits adultery. King, King David has another man murdered. We see this unfolded in Psalm 51 where he's repentant and he looks to the Lord for forgiveness. He finally sees with the eyes. He's finally taking the log out after Nathan the prophet comes to him and unfolds that picture of the little ewe lamb that he has stolen. And finally he sees his sin for what it is. The log is being removed. And so he says there, cleanse me from my sin so then... So then, he deals with the log. So then, first of all, he deals with the log in his own eyes. So then, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. That's the right approach. Dealing with our own hearts, our own sin issues first, and then going to other people and talking to them. That's the proper order. That's the way David did that. And so, we are called to judge with grace, with gentleness, and humility. We are called to make judgments. We're not to be fault finders, but when we have, uh, we're confronted by issues in our own hearts, we want to deal with those things. When we're confronted by issues in the lives of other people, then we're in gentleness and love. We speak the truth in love to them, and we can go to them in that spirit of humility and gentleness. And then secondly, we are to judge with discernment. We are to use discernment in our Christian lives. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now this kind of seems really out of place here in this passage, but it really isn't. Now if you have a dog and it's a household pet and you have a nice sweater for it and, and you do all these different things for your dog and they could sleep on your bed or your couch, but in Jesus' day... These things were little scoundrels. They were scavengers. They were dirty. They carried disease, all these kind of things. They were despised creatures. And so Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is holy. And what he could mean there is that the temple sacrifices of meat, you wouldn't just take that meat that has been set apart, that's what the word holy means, that has been set apart and then throw it to the dogs. No, you'd be more careful about those kind of things. 
And then Jesus mentions the pigs. Pigs were also despised. They were also filthy creatures that carried disease and they were unclean animals in in Jesus' day, scavenging around for food. And so Jesus says, don't give pearls to pigs. Now, pearls were very rare and very valuable. And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't toss pearls into, into a, a pig's uh, pen and have that pearl pick them up and realize it's not food to eat and spit them out and it just becomes, you know, all in the, in the muck there of the pig pen. You wouldn't do that because they're so valuable. And so the point Jesus is making here is that we are to be discerning in our dealings with people. We are to be discerning in our dealings with people, specifically in how we share the gospel with those who are defiant with those who are decisive in their rejection of the gospel. And so Jesus isn't saying don't share the gospel with unbelievers. Obviously, we are to share the gospel with unbelievers. They need the gospel. They need to hear about Christ. But when a person continues to reject Christ and hardens their heart against the gospel message, there comes a point when Jesus says we ought to move on. Now, do we have any examples of that in the scriptures? Yes, We do have examples of that. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 10 and verse 14. He said, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. The Apostle Paul, Acts 18.6, when the Jews opposed and reviled Paul, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. I'm going to the Gentiles. So that's what we see in the scriptures. Now, missions and evangelism is very, very important. It's part of the mission of the church. That is what we are to be about, extremely important. We have a calling to bring the gospel to those who don't know Christ. We have a calling as a church to bring the gospel to those who don't know Christ. We have a calling as as ministers and pastors to preach the gospel from this pulpit. Very, very important. But if people have had plenty of opportunity, they've heard the gospel repeatedly and they've rejected it time and time again, then Jesus says that there is a time when we need to move on. Now, does that mean that we need to get these people completely out of our lives? We're never talking to them again? No. We preach the gospel with our lives. We pray for them. We, do, we minister to them in different ways other than this word that gets trampled underfoot, the gospel that gets trampled underfoot. So that requires wisdom and discernment, doesn't it? So far from Jesus meaning that we never make any judgments, we need to apply wisdom and discernment when we are doing this kind of thing, when we are interacting with the world. And so verse 5 tells us that we ought to be gentle with our brother. And verse 6 tells us that we need to be discerning with our neighbor. That is what Jesus is unpacking for us here. Be gentle with your brother, be discerning with your neighbor. So what are some, an implication that we can take away here? I'm sure that you've been applying various things to your life already, but I want to go back to that verse two and that boomerang effect, that boomerang effect that we see there. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There was an ancient Jewish saying that said this, God has two measures whenever he judges, the measure of justice and the measure of mercy. The measure of justice and the measure of mercy. Which one would you want? Which measure would you want? 
There was a pastor in the Revolutionary War period in the United States, 1700s, America versus Britain. Peter Miller was his name, pastoring in Pennsylvania. And he walked 60 miles to go talk to General George Washington because his neighbor was going to be hanged. He was brought up on treason charges and he was going to be hanged. Now, the interesting thing here is that Peter Miller walks 60 miles to to set about the release of this neighbor of his, but the interesting part of it is that his neighbor hated Peter Miller. He hated Christians. He hated God. He ridiculed him. He yelled at him. And church members, as they went into the, the, the church and they came out of the church, this man would be there to yell at people and to talk to them. And yet Peter Miller goes all the way 60 miles he walks to talk to General George Washington about his release. And so he met with the general, and the general said to him, I cannot release your friend because of all the charges that are brought against him. And Miller said to him, my friend, no, he is my greatest enemy. And so perhaps you've heard the story before, as it it goes, that Washington then said, you mean that you've walked 60 miles to have your greatest enemy released? And so he wrote an edict to have the man released. And so Miller went to the scaffolding where this man was about to be hanged, and as he approached, the man said, Ah, Peter Miller, come to seek your revenge, have you? And so at that, Miller got very angry, and with great bitterness he said, I have your release in my hand but I'm going to let you die instead. You'll never be able to belittle me again. And he ripped up that release. Now that is justice. Justice would be served. The neighbor would get what he deserved. But no, Peter Miller didn't do that. He took the note and he went to the hangman and the man was released. Now that's mercy. Instead of justice, he gave him mercy. Now again, God has two measures when he judges, the measure of justice and the measure of mercy. Which measure would you like? Which measure would you like? If, if God is judging you, which measurement do you want him to use? Justice or mercy? Of course you want mercy. Everyone wants mercy. That is what we want. But what measurement do you usually grab for when you are passing judgments on other people? Boy, where's a policeman when you need him? That guy's doing a hundred and a sixty. There needs to be justice. But yet we don't seem to mind it when we aren't caught speeding, doing the same things. We seem to be quite okay with that. We don't really want God's justice. We don't want to go down that path. We want God's mercy on the last day. The unbeliever is going to receive God's justice on the last day. Every sin will be accounted for and every sin will be paid for by that person. The unbeliever will get justice. The believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will receive God's mercy because in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's justice and wrath are both satisfied. Justice and wrath are both satisfied. We receive mercy. Every sin has been punished justly. In the Lord Jesus Christ, that is mercy. And it's from that perspective that we can talk to others in love and in grace, that we can speak the truth in love to them, in gentleness and humility. We can talk to others about their sin after we've talked to God about our own. 
And that is the, what it, Jesus is talking about in this passage. We want God's mercy, and we should want it for others as well. And so we are to be merciful to other people. Peter says of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let's pray. O God, we know that we could be justly sentenced to an eternity in hell for all of the sins which we have committed for even the smallest sin, even that little speck, we could be spending eternity separated from you. And so we thank you that instead we receive mercy. We receive your grace. And so help us to be those to extend grace to others. Help us to be those who will remove the log from our own eyes that we might see clearly, that we might judge with righteous judgment. And so we thank you, O God, that you have saved us. And I do pray for those who might not know you here this night. I pray and ask that you would bless them with the blessing of salvation, with the knowledge of God that they might see as David did their sinner right this night and come and turn into your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.